It is awesome, awesome to be in the house today. If you're just checking in, we are in the second week of a series and really a season that we have labeled as a church, Good to Go. And it's anchored in what is referred to as the Great Commission. When Jesus commanded his followers in his final words, physically on this earth 2,000 years ago, he said, go, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. So as a church, we're really kind of digging in right now and doing everything that we can to fully engage the family of faith, to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to be that kind of church that is actually, as a matter of fact, good to go, that, that we're doing what God has called us to do. And we're doing this through the lens of what we kind of refer to as a full circle faith, that a person is growing, is maturing, their faith in Christ is developing in a, in a robust kind of way when you're firing on all cylinders. Just by way of review, let me show you kind of what we introduced last week as this, this full circle faith. It, most people kind of begin with attending and showing up to church. That's where a lot of us started. Somebody invited us and maybe our parents took us or dragged us to church when we were kids. But we first heard about this thing called faith by attending and gathering with other people. Then there's commitment. When we make that decision to commit our lives to Christ, to commit ourselves to his church. We, we move on and we're serving, we're using the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the availability that we have to move God's purposes forward. Then we connect. We actually connect in relationship with each other. That's, that's another massive part of this full circle faith. Then there's giving generously, financially, obediently. That's a part of our full circle faith if we're a follower of Christ, but then we bring it full circle when we're leading other people, when we are leading people to faith, when we're leading people in their faith, when we're helping them to grow and develop in this, this full circle faith. And last weekend as we got this series and this season started, we kind of talked about the flywheel, the, the fact that that there's this huge flywheel called faith that we have to, we have to get moving. And, and if we if we push hard enough, if we push long enough, if we push in the right direction, then we start to see this full circle faith starting to gain some momentum and some very real power, not only in our lives personally, but in our life collectively as the family of faith. And as I said, most of us start this process by attending. This is where it begins. But attending and, and gathering with the family of faith is not just for rookies. It's not just something that you do as a new follower of Christ. It is something that is always a part of a full circle faith. And as we'll see later on this morning, as we mature, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, as the body of Christ, the reasons why attending, the reasons why gathering with this family change as we mature, but that need that God has baked within us, that he has hardwired into our souls to gather and collect with other followers of Christ never, ever goes away. I, I think maybe the best way to explain, let me ask you a question. How many of you in the room today, you are the parent of adult children? Your, your kids have already moved out. Let me see a show of hands. Isn't that a great thing? 
Now, we, I mean, we love our kids. We, we would take a bullet for them, literally. That's not a metaphor. We would literally die for our children, and when they move out, it is just so great. They start buying their own food. They start doing their own thing, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But Julie and I noticed that when your kids move out, it is weird. It is a weird, weird dynamic. All of a sudden, all of those years of all of those kids and all of that, that noise and that hustle and bustle is just And it can be very unsettling at first. And then you realize what a blessing this is. Would somebody help me preach the blessing of the empty nest? I'm just kind of putting that out there. Some of you right now, be careful because you're dealing with some jealousy and coveting. I can, heal, I can feel it in the room. You're thinking, I'm trying to be happy for you, Mac, but I'm not there yet. But, but if you have adult kids, you'll understand this immediately. And even if you don't have any kids or adult kids, You'll understand the dynamic because now that our kids are grown up and gone and they're scattered across the country, there is nothing like when they come back home. There is nothing like it. And Julie and I, by the grace of God, at least so far, our kids like coming home, especially when we feed them, especially when we serve a meal. As a family, we love to gather around the table. And I got to tell you, as the dad, there is nothing like it in the world. I, I kind of think that's exactly what happens when we gather together as the family of faith. And here's the great thing about this. It doesn't matter your family status. You may be a student. You may be a single adult. You may be a married adult. You may be divorced. You may be undecided. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, there is a place for you at this table. This family has room for you. You turn to your neighbor right now and tell them like you mean it. You belong. I don't know if y'all believe that. If I was sitting next to you right now, I would be really discouraged. <laughs> tell you what, let, let's try that again. And this time turn to your other neighbor, your new bed, your, the one you apparently wanted to turn to. <laughs> and, and Smile. And tell that neighbor, you belong. Now, before you leave today, you need to reconcile with the first person you talk to. Because the second one, you meant it. That there is a place for everyone at this table. When you understand gathering and attending worship together as the body of Christ is the family dinner then you start to understand the dynamic that plays out literally throughout the entire Bible. If you go back to Israel, when they were wandering in the wilderness, after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, one of the first things that God had them do is they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years before they took over the promised land that he had promised them. One of the first things he had them do was to gather the materials to, to create and to fabricate the tabernacle, this mobile space for worship that could be set up and torn down and moved to the next campsite so that God's family, God's people could gather and worship him together. Later on, the tabernacle gave way to the, the temple there in Jerusalem first, and then others were built throughout Israel and throughout that region, and, and the temple became the epicenter 
of faith and family and culture and, and their identity as who they were because that was where they worshiped together. As a matter of fact, it was in the temple, in the most sacred room of all. It's referred to as the Holy of Holies. Behind a thick veil, the high priest of Israel would go behind that veil into the presence of God one day a year to offer a sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the nation of Israel. And it was there in the Holy of Holies that only the high priest interceded for the people. And it was as he interceded that God gave them forgiveness for all of their sins for the entire year. And this is the picture that Jesus paints in the New Testament. He takes that and then builds on it. And Jesus went so far as to say, I tell you what, now that I have come, now that I have become a human being and walked on this earth and given my life on the cross and been resurrected, wherever two or more of you gather together in my name, Jesus said, there I will be also. His presence is here with us whenever we gather together. And the book of Hebrews puts a really, really fine point on this in Hebrews chapter 10. In chapters 9 and 10, Hebrews is going through and explaining how Jesus has built on the old system under Moses and under the law and the, the temple and the sacrifice and the Holy of Holies. And in chapter 9 and chapter 10, it says that, that now Jesus, Jesus has become our high priest. He is the one who intercedes for us because of him, because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. Now we have access to the Father through him anywhere, anytime. We have open communion, relationship with God through Christ. And not only that, but Jesus' body was the veil. It, it was the veil and the veil that was torn so that we could access the Father. And not only that, but Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And, and it's based on this discussion of the great high priest that Jesus is as our sacrifice as well. All of the law, all of the prophets fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. In Hebrews 10, 25, the Bible says this. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us not neglect our meeting together. It's almost, it's almost as if God knew 2,000 years ago that we would have this tendency to kind of take it or leave it, to treat meeting together and attending and gathering as kind of a, a buffet option, that, that we could take it or leave it, kind of like when you go to Luby's. How many of y'all remember Luby's? How many of you have ever eaten at Luby's? Let me see a show of hands. It's a spiritual experience. I don't know if you can find one anymore, but if you find one, you should go eat at Luby's. When you go through the cafeteria line at Luby's, it's not like the, the middle school or elementary school cafeteria that you went to. This is, I mean, the food is unbelievable at Luby's. It's unreal. You can get a brick of fish that is fried so perfectly. It's weird. And I don't know what, it's, it must be the brick fish that comes in that shape filet. But gathering together, attending worship it is not something that we can take it or leave it. It's something that God invites us into. And, it, and I, I really think that God understands, that God knew 
there would always be a thousand and one different things competing for our time, for our energy and our effort. And if you have kids, <laughs> you, you can take that thousand and one and multiply it times however many people there are in your household for the number of things and, and items on the calendar that are competing for our time and our energy and our effort. And, and I, think, I think especially for those of us who go by parent, if you are a mom or a dad, it's really important that we understand the priority of gathering together for the sake of our kids. Now listen, I understand my, my kids are grown and gone, but trust me when I tell you, I have run this gauntlet. I, I, I've got the scars and the bruises to prove it. I've been there when you tell somebody, you know what, my kids won't be at practice or at the game on Sunday because we're going to church. Like, oh, well, you're the pastor. That, yeah, okay, that makes sense. No, 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 no. It's not because I'm the pastor. We never did anything with our kids because dad was the pastor. This is what we did because we were following Christ. You see, it's funny how many times we ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? They don't know, and that, that's cool. They're kids. We don't know. But as parents, we do know this. Whatever our kids will face in this world, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt by virtue of the fact that they are human beings, most of them. We know that they will face triumph and tragedy. Our kids will absolutely face success and failure. It'll happen. They will face celebration and they will grieve and they will mourn. Every single one of them. No one who spends any amount of time on this planet drawing breath is immune or exempt. And therefore, the only group, the only team, the only organization, the only thing that will be there with them from the cradle to the grave is the church. That's it. Your kids' seven-on-seven team will not be there when you die. They won't. Your kids' ballet recital <laughs> will not be there when your child's marriage hits a wall, and your child's marriage will hit a wall. Anybody who's been married knows what I'm talking about. And if you're single, I hate to shatter your illusions. Some of you right now are thinking, because you're new around here, you're like, you mean preacher, you're, yeah, my marriage hit a wall. Now we crashed through it by the grace of God. We're still married. But it is only the church, it is only the church that will be there for your kids when you can't be. Therefore, the greatest investment you will ever make in the lives of your kids is the investment you make in the body of Christ. Period. End of story. I don't have to ask for an opinion. It's a fact. It is an absolute lead pipe lock fact. And the church will only be there for them if, if they choose to make it a part of their lives. If they learn while they're under our care and responsibility, the muscle memory 
of being the church, of connecting to the church. Now, obviously, obviously, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I, I get it. I've, I've heard all, I, I know that. That's true. People say, well, I don't have to, you know, if I go to McDonald's, that doesn't make me a hamburger. <laughs> if I'm in the garage, that doesn't make me a car. <laughs> that is really profound theology. Of course, God loves you whether you're at church or not, but you're missing out because nothing replaces the menu of the family dinner. You see, when we come together as the family dinner, this is where we're reminded of the food and the family. It's where we remember the principles and the people of God, where we remember what it is that God has given to us, what it is that he's built into us, what it is that he's called us to live in and to live out. And so in the time that we've got left, I just want to mention to you the family dinner menu. The family dinner menu. Now, before I dive into this, I want to make sure that you understand you don't have to eat at home every meal. You can go out to eat. You can, you can go to drive through from time to time. I do that sometimes. Sometimes at work, in the middle of the week, I just, need, I just need to leave the office. How many of you have ever driven to Chick-fil-A, gone through the drive-thru, and sat in the parking lot in your car in the air conditioning just to be by yourself? Can I see a show of hands? <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. That's the equivalent of a podcast, of listening to another sermon online or watching online. That's great as it supplements and augments the family meal. When, when we gather together, there, there's something that happens. Man, if you didn't come here today, if you weren't in the room, sorry, but if you weren't in the room, you, you would have missed that, that corporate worship, corporate meaning the body. You, you would have missed Alan Graham sharing his heart for Mobile Loaves and Fishes and the connection and the partnership that our church shares with Mobile Loaves and Fishes and Community First especially, you, you would have missed Roger singing, take me to church. I mean, nothing, nothing replaces the menu at the family dinner. The first thing that's on the menu is safety. Safety. This is a safe place to ask hard questions. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, Always be humble and gentle. The Tim McGraw translation says, be humble and kind. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. This is a safe place to be who God has created you to be and to take the risk of stepping into, stepping up to who he's calling you to be. It's a safe place. Julie used to say, she articulated this so beautifully. She said, you know, when our kids come home, I want them to walk in the door and feel like this. Even if they can't say it, I want them to feel like, I'm home, I'm safe, and I like it here. I'm home, I'm safe, and I like it here. I think that's a great thing for our church. I think when you walk in these doors on Sunday morning, you ought to walk in and kind of, I'm home. I'm safe. I like it here. They've got good coffee. 
Some of you are safer in this parking lot than at any other part of your week. Man, some of you would run over somebody to get a park close to the door. But when you come to church, you're like, no, go ahead. <laughs> but we're to be humble and gentle, patient with each other. The second thing on the menu is belonging. Belonging. You belong here by virtue of the fact that you're drawing breath. You're a human being who is investigating God. You're trying to learn about what's next. Wherever you are in your journey, Romans chapter 12 says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, each member has a special role to play on the body, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We belong to each other. Now, we, we need you. You need the person sitting next to you. We need community. Did anybody this week, apart from gathering with the church, whether it was a group, a Bible study, or a Sunday morning, did anybody here get too much acceptance and love this week, maybe at work? Anybody in school? Anybody, anybody at school like, just quit encouraging me, okay? That's what this is for. This is unique in all the world. So there's this belonging. Number four, number three is encouragement. Encouragement. We've already touched on this. Let us not neglect our meeting as some people do, but encourage one another. Encourage one another. Before the first service, I was reviewing my sermon and kind of looking over it one or five last times, and so I didn't get a chance to, to visit with Alan Graham but between services, I made it a point to, to go talk to him. And just, just shaking hands and hugging Alan Graham, I love what I do that much more. I, I love getting to be a part of the body of Christ because of Alan Graham. Not just Alan Graham, but, but there's something about him. Like when you hug Alan and he goes, hey, bro, man, you're just like, man, I, I can take on the world. That, that's, that's encouragement in courage, that you are filled with courage, you are filled with heart. That's what we do for one another. Number four, the family dinner menu includes a reminder. When we gather together, it is a reminder of who we are and what we do. First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. You still stand firm. It's a reminder of the power of the gospel. You see, the cross of Jesus is never emptied of its power. If, if I don't feel the power of the cross, it's not the cross's fault. When we come together, how many of you know that courage leaks? Courage leaks. Like right now, I mean, you're going, man, God loves me. I belong somewhere. This is good. I'm up. But by Thursday, whew. it's just a slow, steady leak throughout the week. But when we gather together, this is that reminder. This is the reminder of the gospel and that we stand firm in it. 
that we're encouraged and we're reminded of the priority of our faith. We're reminded of the priority of family, the family of faith, no matter where we are, no matter who we are. You know, when I was talking about our kids coming back home for a free meal, as they've grown up and moved off, it's tougher and tougher to get everybody under the same roof at the same table. But we frequently can get at least a quorum. We, we may have three out of six, four out of six, some maybe five out of six sometimes, but, and, and it's great. It's great no matter who is there, who can make it. You know, sometimes I'll say, you know, maybe Emily is there with Julie and me, and I can say, man, I, it's, I love getting to have a meal together, but I, I wish... I wish Joe and Sylvie and Allie could join us. And, and Emily's like, thanks, Dad. I'm sorry I'm not enough. I'm like, that's a joke she makes. For those of you who don't know, that's not something that she shares with her counselor or anything like that. I was teasing. When I, somebody's like, oh, that's so sad. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. Tell your neighbor that was a joke. But I will say this. There is something missing when someone is missing. There is something missing when someone out of our family is missing. And this is true when we gather together. This, this, is, this is part of what God does when we come together. The last item on the menu is maybe the reason that a lot of us came in the first place. The reason that a lot of us chose to attend was for help for help. Maybe we had a, a felt need. Maybe we had a, a life crisis moment. Th this is what the Bible says. It says the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. When we gather together, it is help for living. For for living out this faith in Christ. It's not just about believing. It's not just a lot of talk, but it is living in the power of God. My father-in-law lives in South Mississippi, and one of his favorite things to do in the world is to go to New Orleans. He loves New Orleans. He, he's a foodie. He loves a great meal at a great restaurant, and as you know, New Orleans is chock full of them. But I learned something really important when our kids were very, very young. Remember, I, I told you at the very beginning that, that attending worship is not just for newbies. It's not just for rookies. And, and here's where I learned this. I remember when, when our children were very young, I'm going to tell you about four and six and we met Julie's mom and dad in New Orleans. Julie's dad, who loves New Orleans on its own, he'll go to New Orleans for a meal at the drop of a hat. But that particular weekend, he was absolutely giddy to show our kids, his grandchildren, New Orleans. We, we were walking through the French Quarter. Eyes straight ahead, kids, don't look at the posters, just keep going. <laughs> No, that, that's, that smell is New Orleans. You'll love it. You'll grow, it'll grow on you after a while. Just keep walking. And we went to, to restaurant after restaurant, and I'll never forget walking out of Café du Mont when our kids had first tasted beignets. 
I mean, Emily and Joseph, they, they were beside themselves. They were so hopped up on powdered sugar. You know, we had had beignets, hot chocolate with whipped cream, and they were... <laughs> and I remember when we walked out, Julie's dad was walking ahead of us, and he had Emily and Joseph hand in hand. Joseph had powdered sugar on his back. We still don't know how that happened. <laughs> but I could see... Joe's smile, Julie's dad, I could see his smile from behind him as he was walking his grandkids through New Orleans, sharing with them something that he loved so, so deeply. I promise you this, Joe Sanderson has never looked at New Orleans the same since he saw it through the eyes of somebody he loved that he shared it with for the first time. When you lead somebody else to worship, to a relationship with Christ, your faith will never be the same. Going to church will never be the same. I remember when I was a kid, middle school, high school, a student, I remember thinking that, that family meals were kind of dumb. I mean, I had places to go, people to see, things to do. I was 16 after all. The state of Texas gave me a driver's license. But I still remember my mom from time to time going, no, we're gonna eat at home tonight, all of us. Did you know that research shows two things keep students tethered to their families? Two things. Chores and food. Chores and food. When we require that our students, that our kids do chores around the house and eat meals together, they stay tethered through the trauma, through the drama of middle school and high school and college. They stay tethered to the people who love them most and know them best. It's the family meal. It's, it's, it's a part of it. It's not the only thing, but it is a vital, vital part of a full circle faith. Now, I don't know where you are today. Some of us in the room are, are maybe longtime followers of Christ. And, and it may be for you that that next step is to, to share beignets with a friend. Invite somebody. Bring, bring somebody along for the ride with you. This isn't just about you and me. But others of us, maybe, maybe for you, just attending was a massive first step for you today. Or, or recently sometime. And maybe for you, you, you want to be a part of this family of faith. We're not a perfect family. No family is. But you want to belong, first of all, to Christ, but also to his family. We would love to give you that opportunity. You're welcome at the table. 
You've been invited to partake of this meal. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. For just a moment. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Christ, why not right now? Why not make that commitment? Beginning a relationship with God, just right where you're sitting, just silently talk to God. From your heart to his, just say something like this, silently say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. I want to be a part of your family. And so I choose to respond to your invitation, to your grace. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. Very briefly, if you would, just remain with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If that was your prayer, then this is the greatest moment of your life. It's a big deal. And as a church, we want to help with what comes next. So, so very briefly, if you just made that commitment to Christ, then I want to ask you to take out the program that you got when you came in, open it up, and inside is, there's a connect card. And if you just prayed to receive Christ, His grace, then I want to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, if you would just fill out this connect card that's in the program contact information. Right underneath that is a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. Just if you would now, just fill that out, complete it. Once you have finished it, you can tear it off along the fold. It's perforated there. And before you leave, when we dismiss in just a moment, hand that card to one of our ushers. That will begin a conversation like I said, so that we can help because this is just the beginning. And we want to help and serve with what comes next. Second thing I want to ask you to do is you complete that card. As our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand high over your head and hold it there for a moment. As a physical representation of that spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that you're surrounded by people who celebrate that with you. We have a family tradition around here. As you go ahead and put your hands down, we put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home and welcome to the family.